Well, it's nearly Christmas, but that doesn't seem to have had any impact on the travel news, which just keeps on coming. The fine details of the government's $128 million grant scheme for the travel industry were released earlier this week, and they have some travel agents really seeing red. There's been a major shift in the home-based travel advisor landscape in Australia, and as cruise lines start to roll out more of their medical protocols for a safe resumption, there are some new restrictions that will impact pre-existing conditions. So much to talk about, so let's get on with it. From Travel Daily, I'm Bruce Piper. And I'm Anna Piper. And this is News on the Fly. So Bruce, on Monday this week, the government opened applications for the $128 million grants program announced a couple of weeks ago by Tourism Minister Simon Birmingham. You would have thought that that was good news, but the devil is definitely in the detail. And while not wanting to appear ungrateful, there's been a last-minute scramble to change some of the criteria. What's that all about? Yeah, look, this could still be an emerging story. Um, And just when we thought that all industry lobbying was over for a little while, it looks like we may possibly be plunged back into the abyss, with agents this week urged on some Facebook groups to contact their MPs yet again to get some of these details changed. AFTA hasn't really given much commentary on the controversy at this stage, but it is my understanding that there is heaps of work going on behind the scenes, and not just with AFTA, but also from other uh, people who've you know really worked hard to lobby, to get some of these criteria changed. Because in particular, it looks like expectations that the amounts that would be received under the scheme have been very much overblown. And Bruce, you wrote a travel bulletin piece earlier this week about the outrage, and you basically suggested the industry shouldn't complain about getting the money, but instead be grateful that they're getting anything at all. Has your opinion on this changed? Yes, it it has a little bit. Uh, Look, when the portal opened for applications, there was an awful lot of bleating from across some sections of the industry, particularly on social media, of course. And not just about the amounts they were getting. Lots of complaints about, you know, how difficult it was to apply, um, you know, the various portals you had to log into, logins, name changes, and the fact that some of the criteria requires agents also to be receiving JobKeeper, which in some cases hasn't been possible, but also, yes, disappointment about how the payments are being calculated. But wasn't that all specified in that original after submission before the budget? I think it suggested an average agency might receive a grant of about $40,000. Yeah, that's right. And that's pretty much the crux of the matter. Those figures did get bandied about, and there hasn't been a lot of communication from after with the industry about any changes to the submission, despite months and months of lobbying and clearly tweaking the request. You might remember that the amount being asked for suddenly doubled from $125 million to $250 million, and then it's ended up being $128 million, and there hasn't really been a lot of transparency on that from AFTA at all. But definitely in that initial submission, it clearly laid out a series of tiers based on TTV or total overall sales. But then in the wash-up, as revealed on Monday when that portal opened for registrations, all that appears to have changed. Sensibly, I think the government has changed the measure from TTV to a particular item on the business activity statements, the G1 total sales figure, which I'm sure everyone involved thought would provide a consistent measure that also that the government can easily easily check through the ATO to ensure that the right amounts are being claimed. But, and it's a big but, it appears that the number that agents and tour operators and wholesalers put into that G1 box varies wildly. Uh, just yesterday, I had calls from a bunch of agents who gave me some real-life examples um, of three different travel agencies, all about the same size. They all had TTV, total sales in 2019, of about $4.5 million, 
that would equate to a commission income of 10%, say 450000 And that's apparently the, the figure that should be entered into that G1 box. However, there is lots of confusion among accountants and you know uh, various financial controllers about what should actually go in that box. And out of those three agencies, only one of them's actually been correctly putting that number in. One of them was reporting more like 200000 because they were taking out some of their costs to reflect the lower figure. They're saying it's a gross profit figure. And the third one's been reporting their full TTV in that box. So under the grant scheme, they all receive wildly different amounts, ranging from about 6000 to the maximum 100000 all because of this accounting anomaly, even though they're all pretty much identical. Huh, very confusing. So what's the upshot? Is it all going to get sorted out? Oh, look... I'm not really sure. Um, AFTA appears to have gone to ground on the issue. Um, Darren Rudd did say something to the ABC about, you know, we need to act like adults and just sort of get on with it. And clearly, you know, there's a bit of face to save there. They, they can't really go back to the government having argued and argued and sort of ticked off on the um, the package and now suddenly say that it's, you know, not relevant and get it sorted out. But there's also another big issue that's been raised with me, which is that smaller agents, the sort of bread and butter of the industry, who have been reporting correctly, um, they're only going to get about a quarter of what they're expecting. So, for example, someone who had received very strong indications, they'd get $40,000, which would definitely help to survive this uh, awful pandemic, help them to get through. They're only going to get 11500 under the new arrangements. Of course, still much better than nothing, but it's a big difference and particularly since there'd been no indication that the, that the tiers would be changing so much in this way, and you know, plenty of expectations that you know, when that big announcement came, we got the money, that that is what they were getting. So although in my Travel Bulletin article I was pretty critical of the whinging, I can understand that these agents do feel very much blindsided by the whole thing. I have asked Darren from AFTA if he wants to do another Travel Industry Hub interview uh, to replace the one that got cancelled after the announcement came out. I haven't had a response yet, so watch this space. And of course, we'll keep our finger on the pulse. Even though we're having a break from publishing Travel Daily for a couple of weeks after this Friday, we'll of course uh, do breaking news and keep the industry updated if there's any more information to share. Well, there's been a seismic shift in the home-based travel agency space in Australia, with travel councillors taking the tough decision to pull out of the local market after 13 years. The transition will be carefully managed to support the Travel Council's franchisees, who will transfer to Express Travel Group, which is expected to launch its own home-based advisor division. Was the shutdown of Travel Councillors locally expected? Look, you'd have to say it wasn't unexpected, but it's also been a really long time coming. Travel Councillors, under its founder and the previous owner, David Speakman, it's now owned by a private equity group, um, he was a pioneer of the home-based agent sector, and Travel Councillors has done really well with its model in the UK. Um, the late, great Peter Watson brought the concept here in 2007, and initially it did uh, set the cat among the pigeons uh, and led the way in this new industry model. But the industry also reacted with its own home-based models, including MTA, which was also a leader in this space, and in, in subsequent years we've seen a whole lot of other groups pop up. Travel managers, travel partners, both started by Jeff Hakim. There's also Savenio, Smartfly, uh, newly announced Entourage Group, and many more and as technology and connectivity have improved, that's also made it a lot easier for anyone to work remotely, as we've all had to sadly learn this year during the COVID-19 shutdown. Look, in my mind, Travel Councillors was always hamstrung by its commission model, which saw franchisees do a 60-40 split with head office. And also, the franchise model is an expensive um, legal structure to maintain. Now, look, 
Travel councillors does provide a huge amount of support. And so they just their policy is that they just allow their members to get out there and sell. And those who are part of the group know what great value that is. But that 60-40 was also an easy target for travel councillors' rivals to be able to claim that they offered a better option because they have a different split, um, 80-20 or even 90-10, depending on the amount of service that they provide. And so what will happen as part of that transition? I think Express Travel Group CEO Tom Mannering definitely sees this as a major coup, and there is a very close alignment between the values of his business and travel councillors in terms of really looking after their members and having a close relationship with them and really understanding you know, what it's like to be a travel agent. Travel councillors CEO Steve Byrne has stressed he doesn't want to leave his members high and dry, so there will be a very carefully managed process overseen, I think, by Kayleen Shuttlewood, um, leading up to the formal closure of Travel Councillors Australian operations uh, at the end of January. We don't know what the shape of the business will be exactly under ETG's ownership, but I suspect there will be a new brand which will aim to look after those existing Travel Councillors, but also target the immense amount of travel advisor experience that's currently unattached after the massive wave of uh, layoffs that have happened across the industry. Look, we know Flight Centre is targeting them too. They've already got travel partners and they, they launched the, their Home of the Travel Entrepreneur or Hottie initiative. And I think we're going to see a lot more action in that space after the Christmas break too. Well, 2020 has been a heck of a year and we can all be forgiven for needing a bit of a drink and a good lie down. And the Business Publishing Group can definitely help with the drink with the release this week of our brand new cocktail compendium. This year, we started with meatballs and we're ending with alcohol, with industry partners sponsoring their top tipples, which are perfect for a festive celebration. The Travel Daily Cocktail Compendium is now available free of charge online at traveldaily.com.au. Check it out now. Cruise lines continue to evolve their health and safety protocols, and that's meant some bad news for some with pre-existing conditions, according to new measures unveiled by Cunard Line this week. Bruce, what's the story there? Look, again, this is something that probably had to happen, and Cunard is just the first, but I suspect many other lines may be forced to follow. I would assume that they've undertaken a risk management exercise, and it's just seen them determine that they just can't carry some passengers who have significant medical issues in this world of coronavirus. So in particular, they're not going to let people cruise if they require oxygen tanks or oxygen concentrators, also if they require a ventilator to help them breathe, or um, or they, they need kidney dialysis. And while that doesn't sound like a big deal, actually I'm sure it's not an insignificant proportion of Cunard clients who would be elderly and wealthy, but in some cases quite unwell. The new Cunard protocols also mean that if you been diagnosed with COVID-19 in the 14 days before departure, you can't cruise. Obviously, that's a no-brainer. But also, if you've come in contact with anyone who has COVID-19 or is suspected of having coronavirus in that period, you're also out. And also, if you've been told to self-isolate by the government, that also means you can't get on board. So that might mean, for example, that if you'd been at a supermarket where a suspected case had been and were told to self-isolate, that'd also mean you can't cruise, which of course would be pretty disappointing. And so for people who are affected by these changes, what will happen? Will they get their money back? Uh, Yes, look, in the case of the medical conditions, the the requirement for oxygen, dialysis and ventilators, yes, absolutely. In fact, QNOT's already contacting those customers and they get a full refund of whatever they've paid. It's not so clear what the situation is for those who have to cancel because of COVID-19 in the 14 days before sailing. The cruise line hasn't said what they're doing for them, but I'm assuming that they'll be able to defer to a later voyage. 
Something else that was interesting in the QNAT update was that they will be implementing strict social distancing and masks on board in line with UK government requirements at the time of departure. So that means that if you're traveling with friends, you're going to have to make sure that your bookings are linked or otherwise you're going to be restricted in how much interaction you can have with your group. So travel agents are being urged to contact their clients and ensure they get their bookings updated before departure to make sure their onboard experience isn't impacted. Of course, QNAD, like the rest of the industry, is on pause. But I guess the fact that these protocols are clearly being further refined is good news in that it looks like they're really getting to the nitty gritty in terms of what a resumption is going to look like. Well, that's all we have time for this week. And so we bid a not so fond farewell to 2020 that the travel and cruise industry would very much rather forget. Thanks to all of you who have listened each week. And while our newsletters are taking a break until early January, our crack team will still keep their fingers on the pulse with updates about any breaking news. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss the first episode when we're back in 2021. We will be back then with more news on the fly.